In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful, my Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. But when he comes, the Spirit of Truth, he will guide you to all truth. These are words from today's Gospel that Jesus speaks, promising the Holy Spirit and the effects of the Holy Spirit on our souls and on the Church. And that all truth that Jesus speaks of, that the Spirit will guide us into, that all truth includes the inner mystery of the life of God himself. It includes what's happening inside of God's divinity, in God's own divine life. St. Paul speaks in a similar way, writing to the Corinthians. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. This unveiling of the inner mystery of God, the inner life of God, the depths of God, is precisely what we celebrate today on Trinity Sunday, the solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity. And the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there are three persons and one God, teaches us many important lessons. And we can focus in our prayer today on three things. The first two are kind of paradoxical. The first is the Trinity teaches us about God's radical transcendence, God's radical holiness, His radical otherness. The second is paradoxical in relation to the first because the revelation of the mystery of the Trinity of this inner life of God at the same time is showing us that God is radically other, radically distant, we could say, reveals that His desire for us, for a relationship with us, is a desire for a great intimacy, a great confidence, a great nearness. And the third thing we'll consider is that the Trinity underlines the importance of charity in the Christian life, the fundamental importance of love. So let's start with the first, the Trinity speaks to us of God's transcendence. That God can be three persons, yet one being, shows how radically different God is. It shows us that God is really strange, as we would say in our ordinary language. God is weird. (laughs) Why? Well, because for us creatures, individual persons are always also individual beings. If you have two persons, you have two beings. If you have a hundred persons, you have a hundred individual beings. If you have a thousand persons, you have a thousand beings, etc. For God, however, who is a community of persons, a communal personatum in the church's Latin, each one of which loves the others with an infinite divine love, For God, there are three distinct persons in one and the same divine being. 
And so that speaks to us of the awesome wonder that God is. He's the thrice holy God. There are intimations of this, little hints of this in the Old Testament. When Isaiah sees the seraphim praising God, they cry out, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Holy, holy, holy. And holiness, the concept of holiness, includes a kind of otherness that God is separate. And so in each Mass, at the end of the preface, right, the Church sings that, Sanctus, 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 Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. He's thrice holy because there are three people in the one God. When we pray that, Holy, 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 we're really also saying transcendent, 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 other, other, other. And at the same time, wonderful, 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 amazing, amazing, amazing. How can it be that there be three persons in one being? Well, it's, it's a mystery, even though we contemplate it and we can kind of get it in faith and get it even more in our prayer. We can see why it's fitting We'll never understand it. We'll never comprehend it adequately. Even though, Jesus, in the doctrine of the Trinity, you are revealing to us your inner life, the inner life of your divinity. Our minds and our hearts will never reach the bottom of God. In your divinity, Jesus, you and the Father and the Holy Spirit are infinite. God is infinite. And therefore, he is incomprehensible by a finite mind. We'll never sound the depths of God with our mind or our heart. Infathomable. And that's very beautiful and very helpful for us. We, we can always know God more and more. We can always love God more and more. We can always enjoy and appreciate God more and more and more. And this even in heaven. Even in heaven, we'll always be there discovering new riches in God. We'll never be bored in heaven. C.S. Lewis, to explain this, uses the analogy of a really good book, right? a really good novel that we're super into. Maybe if he were around today, he would use the image of a really good show on Netflix or some other streaming service, a really good series. And you get to the end of one chapter and you're so into it and it's so enjoyable that you want to watch the next chapter or you want to stream immediately the next episode. This is what leads to binge watching. And before you know it, if you're not careful, you might be up all night with your favorite novel or you might binge for an entire day, (laughs) your favorite favorite series, and then start a new season. And C.S. Lewis says, that's what heaven will be like, but it will never get boring And it will never end. And we'll always be eager to know more about God, to love God more, to enter more into this wonderful God, the mystery of this wonderful God. Jesus revealed to St. Faustina that he's unknowable and yet knowable at the same time. He said to her, Who God is in his essence no one will fathom. 
neither the mind of angels nor of man. Get to know God by contemplating his attributes. And this is good for us. It's good for us to know that there's an unlimited good waiting for us. Something that will never run out. Something that we can have no fear of loving too much or of enjoying too much. Get to know God by contemplating his attributes. And I think that's that's a good practical takeaway for us on the Feast of the Blessed Trinity. This deep, most fundamental, most mysterious mystery of God is a call to contemplation. It's a call to reflection. In our life, and especially in our prayer, we should think about God, to think about His divinity, to wonder about His attributes, that He's infinite, that He's transcendent, that He's uncaused, that He's all-knowing, that He's all-powerful, that He's the source of all perfection and beauty and goodness, that there are three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that kind of reflection helps us to love God as God. It helps us to love God rightly. It teaches us that God is unlike anything else and therefore worthy of all of our trust and worthy of all of our love and all of our devotion. Jesus, deepen my prayer life. Help my prayer life to be a little bit more intellectual, perhaps, a little bit more contemplative, and less concerned so much with my feelings, less concerned so much with my emotions, although if God allows us to pray well with our feelings or emotions, blessed be God, that's a, that's a grace. But it's not the essential thing. The essential thing is that our mind discover the truth of God and our will respond with love, adoration, devotion. Because I think it's a danger in our day and age that we can fall into a kind of religious sentimentalism or a kind of religious emotivism, we could say. Because a lot of our culture and a lot of our way of being as moderns and our contemporaries is very emotional, right? Our emotions are kind of salient or pressing in our human experience. And it's good for us to realize, well, yeah, it's it's human to have emotions. Emotions play a part, but they're not central. They're not primary in the spiritual life because the spirit is intellect and the spirit is will. And the heart is kind of the meeting place of our more spiritual side, the will and the intellect, and also our emotions and, and our body, right? It's kind of like the core of the person. So to love God with our heart, to put our whole heart into God, is really to let the the spiritual faculties lead, right? My mind, my intellect, that with which I know the truth, and my will, that with which I choose to love the truth. I choose to, to be true to the values and to serve the goods that are really good, that are truly good, and not only that appear good to me. And then if the emotions follow along, great. If the emotions resist, great too, right? It's more meritorious to pray anyway when we don't feel like praying or to pray through some dry period. It's very pleasing in the sight of God to choose to pray, 
to choose to contemplate Him, to choose to think about Him, even when we don't feel like it or when emotionally it's difficult for us to do so. So Lord Jesus, help us to answer this call to contemplation. You will know the truth, Jesus says, and the truth will make you free. When he comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you to all truth. And the doctrine of the Trinity, the dogma of the Trinity, which tells us about the reality of God's inner life, is a truth that we can always come back to, we can always contemplate. And it should stir in us this amazement, this wonder, which is an emotion. <laughs> it, it, it sparks the emotion of wonder, of praise, which help us to love God not just with our mind, but also with our heart. Holy, holy, holy. So that's the first consideration. The mystery of the Trinity is the mystery of God's otherness, of God's transcendence. And that sparks us to love God as God, to adore Him. Paradoxically, the second point is that the mystery of the Trinity teaches us that this transcendent God, this God who's so other, so separate, wants to be close to us. He desires our love. He desires our confidence. He yearns for our love and our trust. Because when we really trust someone, what do we do? When we really trust someone, and there's a real intimate friendship, we open up to them. When we know that someone loves us and we feel we can trust them, we tell them things about ourselves that are personal, things that are intimate things that make us vulnerable, things that we don't tell just anyone. And this helps them if they're good people. It helps them to love us. It helps them to help us. It helps them to be close to us. And the opposite is also true when someone opens up to us in that way, when someone confides in us, telling us something important and personal. It's a sign that they trust us, that they know that we care about them, that we're not going to take advantage of their trust, that we're someone that they can depend on, and that we're someone that they've taken into their intimacy, into their confidence. Well, in revealing to us the depths of God, the inner life of God, by revealing to us the Trinity, that He is one God, the three persons, God reveals to us in a great confidence his greatest secret, his most intimate life. The Trinity is something that no one could ever know, no one could ever fathom without God telling them, without revelation. And why does he reveal it? Why does he let us into the secret? Why does he take us into his confidence? Well, because he wants us to love him. He wants us to love him as he truly is. Unless we know him as he truly is, we cannot love him truly. And so the revelation of God's transcendence is at the same time a call to a very close relationship with God. The revelation of God's transcendence in his nature is at the same time a revelation of God's desire to be intimate with us, to be close to us. God's transcendence and his imminence are paradoxically very much related. His 
radical otherness and his closeness to us are like two sides of the same coin. So Jesus, help me to respond with my own confidence in you. You reveal to me your inner life, the inner life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the life of God. But do I respond with a similar radical trust in God? Is my prayer life utterly sincere? Am I utterly myself when I go to prayer? Or do I put on airs? Do I have the spiritual equivalent of an Instagram filter when I pray? Am I trying to make my life look better than it really is when I sit in front of God? Or am I waiting for things to change to be better before I open up and talk to God? At one point, I'm back on Facebook now, but at one point I got off of Facebook for a number of years. And one of the reasons was I was just envious of people, right? Especially their lunches. It was like, wow, that that looks like a nice bacon cheeseburger. Or I can go for some of those ribs. Or, hey, that fried chicken looks fantastic. It was just making me hungry all the time being on Facebook. But I'm back on Facebook now. And I think it's understandable, right, that people, when they post something for the world, they might not post their problems or they might not make themselves vulnerable. Because there's a certain discretion and a certain reserve about what's really happening with you and what um, you're really struggling through. And yeah, sometimes people post things like that and they ask for prayers and that's that's all good. But at the same time, there is um, a certain tendency and it's understandable that when we present ourselves to the public... Right outside of our family and our close, intimate friends, we only show the good things. Right? We show what would tend to make people envious, or we show what would tend to make people happy. And that's just a one-sided picture. And with God, we need to drop the mask. We need to remove the filter. We can't put on airs. We can't pretend that we're someone different than we are, or wait to be more presentable to God before we pray. He loves us as we are, and he's going to help us improve from where we are. So Jesus, help me to respond to your your confidence in me showing yourself to us with my own confidence and my own vulnerability and my own radical sincerity, praying as I am for the things I really need and showing him what's really happening in my heart, both both good, good things that we're grateful for, but also the bad things, the things that we'd rather not face or talk about. Finally, the mystery of the Trinity teaches us a third thing that we consider, three for three persons of the Trinity. We considered God's holiness, we considered God's call to intimacy implied by this doctrine. And then there's another very practical consideration that we can make, which is the Trinity really underscores the centrality of charity in the Christian life. Because we might think, oh, the Trinity, that's the mystery of God in himself, and I'll see it when I get there, and oh, it's nice that God is three persons, but what does it have to do really with my day-to-day? What does it really have to do with 
my life as it is, my relationships. It's a little bit, a little bit abstract. And that's really not the case. There's a one line summary of our faith, a one line summary of all of Revelation found in John's first epistle. And that is Deus Caritas Est. God is love. God is love. This is what Jesus reveals to us. But if we reflect on it, God can only be love if he is more than one person. If God were just one person and God was love, well, God doesn't need to create, and so God would be loving himself from all eternity. But if he's just one person loving himself, well, that would be very hard to distinguish from a kind of egotistical, proud God, a vain God. And so for God to be love, it makes a lot of sense that he is a communio, that he is three persons in communion with each other, right? loving each other. And that revelation so tied up to, so tied up with the Trinity, that God is charity, really underlines the radical importance of charity for us. We are made in the image and likeness of God, as we read in Genesis. But then it's revealed to us that we are made in the image and likeness of love, of a God who is love. And so we will only be human, we will, we will only be successful in this life, in this existence of ours, insofar as we learn to love, insofar as we grow in love, in charity. We know that we are called in holiness to a participation in God's own life. St. Peter says this, we're made partakers of the divine nature. This is the meaning of our divine filiation, that we share in the divine sonship of the Son of God in Jesus Christ. And so to be holy is to participate in God's life, and God's life is communio, is relationship, is love. And so our life as humans and our life as Christians, our human life and our divine life, really depend on one thing in the end, which is charity, a growth in love, learning to love. And so that's very practical when we examine our lives, how we're doing spiritually, how we're doing morally, how we're doing even humanly. That's a huge question. We have to look out for any voluntary lacks of love. Is there anyone, Lord, I have written off in my life? Is there anyone I have refused to forgive? Are there any group of people that I feel justified in hating or in wishing evil to? We're called to love them all. Love your enemies, Jesus says. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. And the revelation of God as Trinity and therefore as love shows us that this is not something optional. This is not another important thing, but one thing among others. No. It's essential to being truly human. It's essential to being Christian. This is my commandment that you love one another. St. Paul puts it so clearly where he says, all the other gifts, all the other merits, all the other excellences and virtues that we can have are worthless if we don't have charity, if we don't have love. 
If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Without love, nothing. And that's a very deep metaphysical idea if we connect once again love with God. The God who's the creator, who's the source of all being, right, who holds everything in existence, is also love. And so if we don't learn to love, we are not connected with the source of existence itself, and we head towards non-existence, we head to nothing. And so Jesus, when you speak about hell, when you speak about not making the cut at the final judgment, you tell those souls who are damned, I never knew you. I never knew you. I can't recognize you. You have slipped into a form of nothingness. Because in your pride, you refused love. You refused to love. You loved yourself exclusively. Depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. If I do not have love, I am nothing. If I do not have love, I gain nothing. And on the positive side, we look. One question, as we just asked, was, is there any deliberate lack of love, any deliberate indifference, any deliberate malice in my life? And we have to correct that, at least to foster goodwill for those who we are in some tension with. We might not be able to reconcile with them, but we can foster goodwill and pray for them. But the positive side is, well, how can I love more? Am I constantly working on the relationships in my life? Am I trying to be a better husband or father, mother or wife, brother, sister, co-worker, friend? parish member, community member, citizen, all those relationships which make up our spiritual existence, which are not, are not merely peripheral or accidental to who I am. We're made in the image and likeness of a God who is community, who is persons in contact and loving other persons. And so our own spiritual welfare is really tied up with our relationships, that they be loving relationships. They're not add-ons to my identity. They're not add-ons to my well-being. They're very much essentially constitutive of it. And so we look, say, well, how can I be a better friend? How can I be a better co-worker? How can I be a better member of this or that community or club of which I form part? A better member of my church, right? A better family member? Can I care a little bit more? Can I serve a little bit more? Can I pray more for the people in my life? And all those are ways of being more divine. Holiness, the church teaches us, is the fullness of charity. Holiness is the fullness of charity. All we have to do to be like God is to learn how to love God and learn how to love others to improve in loving God and improving in loving others. 
In the tradition of the church, there's a prayer called the Trisagion. At times it's called the Angelic Trisagion. It comes from the Greek tradition. And this is one of the antiphons that's translated here in Latin. Sanctus Deus, Sanctus Fortis, Sanctus Immortalis, Miserere Nobis. Holy is God, holy and strong, holy immortal one. Have mercy on us. Tibi laus, tibi gloria, tibi gratiarum axio, and seculus and paterna obiati trinitas. To you, O blessed Trinity, be praise and honor and thanksgiving forever and ever. Sanctus, 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 dominus Deus, exercitum, plenis uncieli, terra gloria tua. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of hosts, heaven and earth are filled with your glory. Holy is God, holy and strong, holy immortal one. Have mercy on us. We worship you, God, as Trinity. Holy, holy, holy. Heaven and earth are filled with your glory. And when God fills heaven and earth with his glory, he fills in a special way Our Lady with his glory. There's a Harvard professor who had a, an experience in which the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to him. He grew up Jewish, and he's still Jewish ethnically, of course. But when Our Lady appeared to him, he eventually converted to Catholicism, which makes sense, right? I mean, if you were another religion and the Blessed Virgin Mary started to appear to you, you would end up Catholic too. In any event, one of the things Our Lady told him was that her favorite title, the favorite way she likes to be addressed in prayer, is precisely Daughter of God the Father, Mother of God the Son, and Spouse of God the Holy Spirit. So Our Lady's favorite way of being identified, being called upon, is precisely in her relationship to the persons of the Trinity, in communion or in relation to the Trinity, to God. And perhaps that's a great way for us to think about ourselves. I am son of God the Father, brother and friend, lover of Jesus Christ, and disciple and clay in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Our Lady, our Mother, Daughter of God the Father, Mother of God the Son, Spouse of God the Holy Spirit, pray for us. Help us to worship the one true God, one God in three persons, the Most Blessed Trinity. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, and my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.